Well, good morning, church, and welcome to week two of our online-only experience here at CLA. We hope you're doing well. We love you. We're thinking about you, praying for all of you and your families during this time. As we wait to be back together, I'd encourage all of us to be praying for each other, praying for those who have the arduous task of making these very difficult decisions for our province. I know it can't be easy, but we're going to get through it and we're going to see light on the other side. I really do believe that. As you know, we're in a series titled Future Church. We took a break last week to celebrate all of our moms and I enjoyed that greatly. Thank you for uh, tuning in last Sunday. But today is part three of this series. The whole topic of our series is really about reimagining, dreaming about what post-COVID church should look like and can look like, and really what is God's handprint on the local church moving forward. I know he wants us to move away from frustration and anxiety to a posture of dreaming again, a posture of looking at the things that matter most. That's what we're about here at CLA. And I know many of you have been praying about this, asking the Lord where you play a part in these amazing days that we have in front of us. My passage uh, this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 to 5. Let's read this together as our foundation. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This passage, my goodness, there is so much to look at and consider in light of the season we are in here today. I want to remind you of a moment that launched us into 2021. All of us are aware of it, but I want to bring up the riots, the capital riots that uh, launched us into this year in America. These riots were very emotional for many different reasons for all of society. As uh, you look on the screen, there are some visuals that I want you to, uh, to be thinking about. Notice the man praying to the cross. The man in black with a holy Bible. The Jesus is my savior. Trump is my president flag blowing in the wind. Just moments following these images, police officers were attacked, government officials were being hunted through the hallways of Capitol Hill and that peaceful transition of power in America for the first time in 244 years was upset. Imagine at this point you are feeling 
uh, a plethora of emotions. There's probably frustration. There's probably, wow, Pastor Tim, you're gonna bring this up today. You're maybe feeling anger or contempt or how dare you even talk about it like this. Maybe you're feeling grief or sorrow. I don't know, but all of us are feeling something, even looking at these images. Some I would say probably embarrassment or even doubt over your Christian identity. If if that's what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. These are very valid feelings. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes about these types of things in the church who because of their destructive actions, the way of truth will be slandered. It's here in, in 2 Peter 2 verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute, which is dishonor or shame. As a group of pastors said in a statement just a few months ago, because of the emotion they were facing, they felt they needed to make a statement about this. They said this, and I quote, there is a version of American nationalism that is trying to camouflage itself as Christianity. And it's a heretical version of our faith. That's not very offensive at all. To some, that statement is very offensive. To others, you will align with it completely. I'm not here to create sides or to stir up unnecessary emotion. What I'm here to do is actually make some very clear points of perspective. Even on the liberal side of thought, let's go there for a minute. It's very easy to miss all of the ways that one can be swept up in this cultural war. Even as followers of Jesus, I must say. Take a look at a few more images I'll put up on the screen. Representing an ideology that is both offensive to some and affirming to others. The use of the cross and the heart, the symbol of love, to argue for the killing of the unborn. Or a pride flag flying in front of a church steeple. Or the rainbow colors being used in a place of the white clerical collar. In the Anglican and Catholic tradition, it was designed to set the priest or pastor apart from the world to symbolize holiness and celibacy. That's what that collar represented and has represented for hundreds of years. What do we make of that visual that you just saw? Of all things now turned into a symbol, in all honesty, something very unchristian. What are your feelings now? Probably a whole new set of emotions depending on who you are. Shock, anger, confusion, it's all there. What if I flip that pastor's statement around and I say it like this? There's a version of North American progressivism that is trying to camouflage itself as Christianity. And it's a heretical version of our faith. How does that feel? I'll let it sink in for a second. Pastor Tim, why, why are you making this morning so uncomfortable? I have a point and it's very important. Before you check out or send me an angry email after service this morning, by the way, all emails will be directed to Cody at CLACalgary.com. 
just in case you were wondering. The truth is I'm not actually here to talk about politics or sexuality or, or any of those hot topics in culture today. There's there, These that I mention are just a few examples of many. My point is this, is that we are living in an age of ideology on both the right and the left. I want to talk about both ideologies and what they have in common. Defined, ideology is really a system of ideas or ideals. There's a few things ideologies are marked by. Two basic features. Number one is this. When you take a part of the truth and you make it the whole truth, they start out as a good idea, but then they make the one thing the whole thing, and in doing so, distort the original vision into an imitation of its true self. For example, we can look at the Russian Revolution. Karl Marx, that whole horrible scene that we read about in history. What started out as a, in a, as a vision of equality and justice ended up being one of the greatest massacres in human history. You see, we all have goodness inside of us. I believe that. I believe that all humanity was made in the image of Christ. But no matter what our motivation is without God, we ruin most everything that we touch. Sin is so damaging. We all know that. Secondly, a second feature of ideology is that when you take a good thing and you make it the ultimate thing, okay? Equality, justice, freedom, individualism, I would say even politics, all good things, but when they become the ultimate thing, where people put their allegiance and faith into areas in order to be happy, the result is always a disaster because God is no longer in his place as the ultimate authority on earth. John Mark Comer, whom I love, wonderful theologian of the faith, pastor down in the US, US says it like this, the common denominator is all ideologies, in all ideologies is they put humanity and its ways moral reasoning and autonomy from God at the center rather than God, his ways, his judgments of good and evil and his authority at the center. We were created to live in orbit around God, not for anything else to live in orbit around the self. One is the path to heaven, the other is of course the path to destruction. So people take apart of the truth and make it the whole. And they take a good thing and they make it the ultimate thing. Interestingly enough, this is how a lot of Christian theologians define idolatry. I have this question to ask all of us this morning. Could it be that ideology is the idolatry of our era? Many are asking this question and I table it today for us as a church to be thinking about. Could it be that ideology is the idolatry of our era? The truth is that there has been such a religious nature or tone these last few years with ideologies on both the left and the right, on both sides of the cultural war. They all have a gospel 
They all have evangelism, they have clergy, conversion stories, members, baptism, discipleship, doctrine, even false teaching, heresy, eschatology, and so on and so on. They offer you meaning and purpose, community, belonging, the things that humanity is so desiring. They offer even a moral vision of good and evil. But the major problem that exists, you need to hear this, is that it's a counterfeit of God's true character. Nobody's immune. All walks of life have the opportunity to really go down this road that is very dangerous. Decades ago, the prediction was made, as I did my study, that Western world, when it becomes secularized, or as it becomes secularized, religion would not go away. Rather, it would be transformed into politics. They warned of political uh, religion. What is confusing is that ideologies of our day, or political religions, draw on Christian language and symbols. All of, the, all of us have succumbed to this confusing train of thought. There was an article written titled, uh, The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastor. I must say it was not a comfortable read for me, but I did read it, and I'm bringing to you a few paragraphs from this writing. It was written by a guy, his name is Sam, Sam Sixsmith. He talks about church trend across the board, what he calls a twist of Christianity, a twist with a twist of Christianity trend. Let me read this to you, have a listen. There is mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, modest political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. Most people stick with mainstream culture because they can have all those things and premarital sex. That's interesting, funny, but very true. We can see the with a twist of Christianity trend elsewhere. Guys like Pastor Jerry Falwell was representative of the right-wing, business-orientated evangelical who offers capitalistic self-enrichment and hubristic jingoism, which is essentially an arrogance of, uh, towards nationalism, patriotism, with a twist of Christianity. Then there are the, uh, the progressive Christians who promote the usual left-wing cause with a twist of Christianity. While different in belief, such people share patterns of thought. The former believe secular individualist mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with money, while the latter think that secular progressives mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with our bodies. So if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become a Christian, he asks. He says, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should or should not be. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. Makes a lot of sense. 
If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Ouch. This is a, a young man who, I did a little bit of research on him, actually grew, grew up with some conservative Christian environment and has, of course, moved far away from that in his later years, in the 20s and 30s. You see why the ideologies of our day are new. The temptation to mix the way of Jesus with the way of this world is actually nothing new at all. The age-old temptation for the people of God is not atheism, but rather idolatry. It's not God or, but God and, fill in the blank. That's what we are battling and facing today. We see this thousands of years ago with Moses and the Israelites. While he was on his way up to, to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, the entire nation of Israel, well, they went wild down at the base of the mountain. They turned this gold statue. Uh, they, they turned all the gold that they had into a statue and they called it Yahweh. And with that, they held a festival to Yahweh. And the people at that moment got up and indulged in what the Bible says is revelry, extreme sexual license. Church, this is still going on today as it was a thousand years ago, where the name of Jesus is designated by ideologies from both sides, which are just rival religions and really anti-Christ. There is a temptation to create almost this do-it-yourself type of faith where what we're even having the opportunity now to do with our, our cable product, where we get to choo pick and choose what we want and and get rid of what we don't want. It's uh, something called religion, religious bundling, just like cable bundling. It's certainly a great temptation, but we know it's not okay when it comes to our faith and making sure that we hold on to everything that's steadfast, that is Christ-centered, that it really is the character of God. I ask this question, how... Do we live and follow Jesus in an age of ideology? Where people we love and have relationship with and at times are doing life with are in, in uh, really are being swept away by the ideologies of the left and the right and are losing their faith and or integrity in the process. I've been asking these, these questions, this question really for many years. A lot at stake a lot at stake for those that we love and who God has called us to influence. How do we follow Jesus and stay true to the way? 2 Corinthians 10 is a path forward for such a time as this, as I read the beginning of my thoughts this morning. Paul is dealing with, if you go ahead in chapter 11, with a group of, look on the screen, of false, prof, uh, false apostles, deceitful workers, 
masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also, also masquerade as servants of righteousness. These are the words of Paul in chapter 11. Now, note Paul's tone in 10 verse 1. He says this, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. There is no hate here. There is still conflict, but he comes in a genuine spirit of humility and gentleness. He's calling people to Christ, not trying to coerce them or control them in any way. That's the difference. He says, I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold towards you, went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. There were some in that church, as there are some in most every church, who actually believe that they live by the standards of this world. I know people like that. You know those like that. We know those who are trending in that direction because of the confusion and the frustration and the, the pain of their experiences they've had in Christian settings, local church settings through their life. Really, it's social expectations, practices, and values set on what's normal around us. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says the world. The world in New Testament in the New Testament is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and really social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the, the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. That's John Mark Comer. That's how he defines the world. Really, it's a, a summing up Genesis chapter 3 in one paragraph. Dallas Willard, another incredible man of God, one who has studied the faith for many, many decades, defines the world as this, our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. We have Jer Dr. Jerry Brashear who says it this way, the world is Satan's domain, where his authority and values reign. Through his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it all seems right. We're here in Canada, it's 2021. I believe there's a leftist version of the world, there's a, a right version of the world, and there's also a Christian or church version of the world. But no matter what side of the cultural wars we gravitate towards, we all feel, all of us feel this pull, a pull from the world. We have to resist, all of us, the decay around in our discipleship to Jesus and make sure that he continues to be at the center. That's very important to consider and remember and embrace for life. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That's what Paul says here in chapter 10. 
What does that mean, waging war as the world does? Well, it means that there should be no violence no or contempt or moral superiority. He goes on to say the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. The weapons that are not of this world have divine power, meaning a dunamis, a dunamis power, which means explosive raw energy from the spirit. That's what we have access to, to in order to demolish strongholds. Now this word strongholds is very important to look at for just a minute. In the world and in the church, what starts out as a, a foothold of the enemy, where, where we look at lies that we come to believe, opinions that we form, habits that we give into, compromises that maybe we make a few different times in, in life or in a season, will often grow into strongholds. Paul goes on to define these things, strongholds, in two different ways. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Two things, arguments and warped philosophies or ideologies. These are the strongholds. Strongholds are not people. Let's remember that. Strongholds are rather ideas and ideologies that are animated by demonic demonic power and anti-Christ, really against God. And they enslave us under the control of the enemy rather than in the freedom of Christ. Ideas, not people, are the primary strongholds of evil in the human soul. Verse 6, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The battle for our soul and the soul of the church is won or lost on the field of our minds. There is a war raging, not between the right and the left, but it's between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. That is the battle, not against each other but between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. As followers of Jesus, we rage war in our minds against ideas and ideologies in order to make all of our life obedient to Christ. The word for this is orthodoxy. Some of us love that word. Some of us are overwhelmed by that word. Maybe some of you have negative feelings towards that word, but orthodoxy really means a body of ideas, ethics, and practice that has been passed down from the life and the teachings of Jesus himself, and as well as other New Testament writers, for the last 2,000 years. That's really what it is. Yes, followers of Jesus disagree on all sorts of secondary issues. We know that. We all disagree on, on different things. And yes, scriptures are clear on some issues and not clear on other things. That is true. But there is a framework of truth that we can all safely say, this is what followers of Jesus believe, and this is how followers of Jesus need to live. There are absolutes in Scripture that we need to think about and consider and hold on to. 
The way is a form of obedience to Christ, an allegiance to trusting and surrendering to Jesus as Lord. That's what this is about, church. Looking at what matters most. As I close this morning, I want to make a statement. And this statement is who I believe we are as a church and who we are continuing to become as we move forward by God's grace. I want to be a Jesus-centered church. And in all honesty, that can make us at odds with both sides at times. It happens. We can't avoid that because as humans, we care deeply about different things and we view things differently. And it will make us at odds with each other at times. We want to do our very best to lead and teach with nuance, with thoughtfulness, and most importantly, with humility. That's my goal. And I'll say this, that we are not a progressive church. Neither do we want to be labeled as a conservative church. We want to be quick to apologize for all the ways that we do not measure up to the example of Christ. We will not apologize for our love of Christ and our allegiance to him as Lord and our trust in the scriptures and the word of God. We will never apologize for those things. Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He is the Christ King who God raised from the dead and set at the right hand of the universe, who will one day return and will judge the wicked and the righteous and will eradicate every trace of evil on this world and he will reign forever. We want to be a part of this as we surrender to Jesus daily, one decision at a time. Church, this is who we are. I don't know exactly what this is supposed to look like. But what I do know is God is calling us towards embracing people where they're at. There is truth in the scriptures that we hold steadfast to. And there are things that we will never debate because we know that they are absolute. But we have to consider the hearts of humanity, the hearts of those who We'll be walking through these front doors the weeks and months and years ahead. And we want to be a church that embraces people, that wraps our arms around them and says, you are welcome here. And it's going to take an embrace of, of uncomfortability at times to be people that are constantly in the process of learning, to be people that are teachable that are willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of relationship, for the sake of looking at someone in the eye and saying that God loves you, he's for you, and we're willing to journey with you no matter where you are at. This brings me to my last thought this morning. You and I both know we're living in a generation where the deconstruction of faith is at the forefront, all around us. We're seeing this. Many are being swept away by the, by the ideas and ideologies of our time. We all know someone probably very close to us that is in the middle of that tension right now. 
It's a worldwide movement to deconstruct orthodoxy. But I have to say this, that there is, there is a good type of deconstruction. We see this in Jesus himself, who made a radical critique of the religious leader of his day and the way human tradition had corrupted biblical truth. That's what he did. We read that all through his scripture. This type of deconstruction where Jesus and others use scripture to critique the world's corruption of the church is actually a good type of deconstruction. But then there's another type that I, th I find so many of those that I love are in the middle of right now. That is a type of deconstruction who use the world to critique scripture's authority over the church. The former is the way of Jesus, the latter is not. And we want to actually be a part of a deconstruction that will bring us closer to a pure gospel, to a place that embraces uncomfortability so that we can be all that God's called us to be. I'm not gonna go there much more this morning because we're gonna spend some time on that over the weeks to come. But I pray as I close today that you would consider these thoughts, pray into them. What does it mean for yourself personally? Where do you see yourself on the, on the scale, on the chart of, of ideology? Where do you see yourself making decisions out of fear versus out of, uh, of faith towards realizing that God is in control and that he cares deeply about making sure us as a body here at CLA are moving in a pure, humble, courageous direction. That's my prayer. May I close with a prayer for all of us this morning. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to challenge. I've been so challenged as I've studied and, and been thinking about these thoughts these last few weeks. Would you take any unforgiveness, maybe bitterness, maybe offense that is attacking our heart even in this moment, and would you bring peace? Would you help us, Lord, to see through a lens that is so pure, that is the true character of Christ? Would we not have a reputation that brings confusion, that brings anger, that stirs up unnecessary emotion in people for the sake of trying to prove a point. Lord, would we take a posture of humility, a posture of, of, of a soft embrace towards the questions of those around us. Lord, I know that you're calling us to be like that, as well as embracing a war that's not against each other, but a war against the principalities and powers of darkness. But we have the weapons. You have given us those weapons through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that as a church, we would not be afraid. We would not be timid in those areas, but we would fight against the things that are causing the most tension in people's hearts so that we can be a place where all are welcome, where the belonging of, of every single person would be what those who walk through these doors would feel. That is my prayer this morning, and I thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We love you. Thank you for listening.
Thank you for allowing me to challenge you today. Let's continue the conversation. Pastor Cody will be with us next week, looking at some more of this topic in future church. Have a great rest of your day. We will see you soon. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in every area of our life. We love you. Take care.